I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. On Memorial Day 2019, residents of Ohio were impacted by one of the worst tornado outbreaks in the state's history. One of the most significant tornadoes moved through Montgomery County, from Brookville to Trotwood and into Dayton. The community of Trotwood suffered some of the most extensive damage, with estimated winds of up to 170 miles an hour and EF4 rated damage. A large number of homes and apartment complexes were left severely damaged and uninhabitable. Despite the overwhelming damage, city officials and residents mobilized to start the recovery process. Community and voluntary organizations from across the region worked together to provide immediate needs assistance and support disaster survivors. On this episode, we sit down with Trotwood Mayor Mary McDonald, as well as Trotwood City Manager Quincy Pope, and look back to how this community came together in the immediate aftermath to respond to and recover from these extensive storms. We're joined by the mayor of Trotwood, Ohio, Mayor Mary McDonald. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for being here. Um, And also uh, Quincy Pope, who's the city manager for Trotwood. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, Thank you both so much for joining me because uh, when we first met, uh, it was during the preliminary damage assessments, which take place very shortly after uh, a disaster has um, struck a community. And in this case, uh, some significant tornadoes struck um, trot, not just Trotwood, but the areas sort of around the Dayton, Ohio area. And during those meetings, those kickoff meetings for those assessments, um, I had the opportunity to listen to you, Mayor, um, talk about the impact that the tornadoes had on your community and um, just the, the inspirational way that the community really rallied together to respond to those tornadoes. Um, so I wonder if you could take me back to um, to the weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend, 2019, and kind of what transpired over those few hours? Well, I have to say, it started with my city manager. He contacted me and he said, you know, we've got great damage here and, you know, there's something we're going to have to deal with here. And um, I got myself prepared to go and meet him and was absolutely surprised that I couldn't reach him because there were trees everywhere. Lots of devastation throughout the community. And when I did get to the location where he was, he had already put things in place, um, had already contacted the outside support agencies that we needed, and we were well on our way at that point. But um, that day was a holiday, so all of us were, you know, going along having a great time and not thinking that we would have anything like a tornado happen in our lives. As a matter of fact, I was in bed and my daughter called me and she says, Mom, you need to get in the basement. And I thought, well, what's going on? And she says, Mom, get in the basement right away. Um, I went downstairs and got myself, you know, kind of settled in for the moment. Didn't have any damage in my area. But after having gotten the city manager's call, I realized our community was in trouble. Um, Quincy, that evening, were you aware of the, the storm threat? Um, were you being notified or were you watching the news or something like that? Yes, absolutely. I was watching the news as well as the police chief and the fire chief had been in contact with me. They had been watching radar. I'd been watching radar. And uh, we know we we noticed that uh, uh, the storm was coming closer and becoming closer. And I guess in Montgomery County, the uh, uh, weather uh, personnel have been through this training now where the training demonstrates through radar uh, through circles, so how large the damage may be. Well, they actually 
began to notice that it was the searches were becoming larger. And so uh, the police chief calls and he says, hey, I think we're going to have a problem and uh, we got we're going to have to get in. And I said, yeah, we're going to have a command center. It looks like we're going to we're going to be struck. And so I said, come and get me. Well, during the time he was coming to get me, the entire city went dark. Uh, we lost power right away. Um, and he's he's getting me and we were looking. Neighbors were standing outside just looking. It was pitch dark. I couldn't talk to anybody at that time. They were yelling and screaming. And I'm on my way uh, to the open up the command center, which we were to use our firehouse, a brand new firehouse that we have on Little Richmond Road, because we know we have uh, communication capabilities in there that we don't have in, in some of our other places and, and available space. Um, uh, so we, at the time we were on the way, I make a call to the Montgomery County administrator, and I tell him that uh, I am sending out the police chief and fire chief to do damage assessments, but I'm going to need everything he's got because I can tell I'm going to need dump trucks. I'm going to need chainsaws, medics, because we were we were making assessments as we were moving. He said, okay. Uh, I think one of the more, more important things is within 45 minutes, we had Ohio Task Force 1 in the city of Trotwood. And I think timing was everything because they were here. We had begun mapping the path of the uh, tornado, uh, the direction that it had went, and I was getting assessment reports back in from the field. So we knew where the affected areas was, we knew we had uh, problems with gas lines breaking. We had people trapped in multifamily uh, housing units, and we had to get into those people. We also had a problem with water. The water had uh, system had went down, and power was out, gas was out. So we had multiple, multiple issues. Yeah, you know, I want to talk a little bit about timing, the timing of the storm, because it took place on the tail end of a, of a holiday weekend. Exactly. And for a lot of communities, holiday weekends tend to be maybe a little bit busier for police and fire um, for a variety of reasons. Did that affect the response or um, uh, just in terms of the way that you handled um, sort of immediately responding to those storms? I think, well, you know, one of the things we have to go back to was our city uh, um, staff had just gone through the disaster training. And what was that about? How many weeks was that? April 24th. I remember it. So it was an update for us to basically go over what our challenges would be should we have a disaster in our area. So the preparedness was there because it was so recent that we had updated. And I think that prepared everybody for knowing exactly what they needed to do, including mayor, city council. So while they were doing the really heavy lifting, um, we had a place in this also, and that's making sure that our people who would reach out to us were able to get information, what exactly was going to be going on. It was quite limited during that time, but we were prepared to do our part in supporting our city manager and um, our police and fire department. Mm -hmm. And the storm actually uh, hit, struck um, late Monday evening of Memorial Day, right? So um, I'm sure it was a long evening, um, a long night. And uh, what were some of your first steps when um, when daylight came? Well, when daylight came, we were praying for daylight because it was very difficult challenges for the first responders because there were live power lines down. And you can't see. It was pitch dark. And, and they were using gators and uh, uh, all-terrain vehicles to try to get around certain areas to get into people because we had people trapped. So the only way to get into them was that they had to use those vehicles in to walk into these areas. And so we were waiting on daylight, but by daylight, we had began already with Ohio Task Force 1 looking at uh, diagramming where they were going to start the search and rescue efforts in terms of where everybody was going to be. So as soon as daylight hit, they, had a, they were already out starting to mark houses and look and see where everybody was. And something in particular that really that happened to us during this time frame 
that uh, I'll, I'll never forget and remember is to always update your uh, your, your mutual aid uh, and your contact numbers. That's something you never think about uh, because you train and you you practice for these things, but you never think they'll happen. And so what happens is people change. Directors change. And one of the challenges that I ran into that night was uh, when they called and said we had people trapped in uh, one of our multi-unit family housing units because uh, the gas lines had broken and everything, and we needed to get them out of there, was I needed to get them evacuated. Well, in our agreement, it says the Regional Transit Authority, we could call them, and they would be able to d- dispatch buses to get the people uh, moved out of affected areas. I was trying to call them, but I couldn't get a hold of anybody. And so I immediately then thought, well, you know what? We have school buses. So I, call, I was called the school superintendent. And he says, Quincy, whatever you need. I said, I need buses. I need drivers. And so within, he called me back within five minutes. He said, I got you some drivers. I got school buses. So we were able to get the school buses into the affected areas and, and to get them evacuated over into the uh, uh, Tribe Madison High School for a temporary holdover site. Uh, the other thing that we learned, lessons learned, was that to make sure that Red Cross, uh, that they're it, for major buildings in your community, to make sure they go through the Red Cross uh, uh, program because just because you have a building doesn't mean that Red Cross is going to allow people to stay there. So we had to utilize a church in the city of Dayton to finally evacuate our people to because of the simple fact that the high school was operating off a generator. So then what uh, me and the mayor started talking about already was, you know what? We're going to start talking to our churches about going through the Red Cross program to get them recognized as Red Cross holdovers so that our people could could utilize those sites. So that was one of the challenges, um, you know, during that during that time frame when the as daylight was hitting. And uh, once the daylight hit, though, we began um, getting people deployed in uh, with the uh, heavy equipment, um, uh, chainsaws to get stuff cut in so the emergency vehicles could get into the people um, as daylight was coming. And thank God, because I was waiting on the assessments to come back of injuries, and uh, I think we only transported five people to the hospital. We We lost one. And we didn't find out later until a couple weeks later. That yeah, we lost her about a month ago. Yeah. And it was because she's 80, 87 years old. And the injuries, along with other injuries she had before, you know, caused her to lose her life. So we couldn't believe it when you would think you'd see the damage in the area that uh, no one had lost their life that night. I mean, it was unbelievable. Right. You know, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about... Um, the actual impacts to the community? Because I know that you um, sustained some pretty heavy damage or a near direct hit to an apartment complex, which obviously displaces a number of people, right, in a concentrated area. So talk to me a little bit about just kind of generally the impacts to the community itself. Well, that area is called Woodland Hills. And in that particular apartment complex, they had up to four bedrooms. So these are like huge houses. And, um, to go and look at it even now to see the amount of damage, it's amazing that we didn't lose anyone there. But that displaced all those citizens in those buses that city manager talked about. It was that area that DPNL was down, that the, the vectoring gas was down, that we had to get those folks out of there simply because, you know, it, it, there was damage in the area. It was huge. So um, what it has done to the community uh, up until this particular time is our, our goal has been to look and find where our children are because we've got a number of children that lived in that area and to get them back into the school system and, and all of that. So all of those pieces were, were moving with us as, and, and still are. 
You know, um, the other thing that I think maybe uh, a number of city officials don't realize when a disaster takes, you know, maybe affects their community, um, with daylight, we start being able to see the impacts of the storm, but it also brings in quite a bit of the media. Um, who can sort of come into it because they want to tell the story, yes. they want to show um, what, is, what has happened. Um, were you surprised by the amount of media that, that came in? I was surprised, but we'd kind of made friends with the media a long time ago. So before we needed them, we had relationships. And what we found was people just wanted to hear the story. They wanted to tell the story. And uh, we were able to answer all the questions that they had for us and give them as much update as we possibly could to keep people outside of our community that were had family members and and all of those to keep them updated on what was happening within the community and how we were accessing the services that were needed for the community. You know, um, part of response is not just the um, police and fire uh, uh, and city services, but it's also um, voluntary organizations. Did you have uh, volunteer organi- voluntary organizations um, come in immediately following the storm? We did. What we had was we had citizens who came from everywhere. We had over 3,000 volunteers in that first week. But initially, we had people just get out there. They acted as safety guards on the street. Some of them uh, were cooking. They were getting clothes for people. We just had folks that came from everywhere with, with a willingness to help us to put our community back together. And they stayed there. They stayed there for a number of weeks in helping us to, uh, you know, take care of folks and make sure that they got some of the immediate needs that they uh, needed to have done. Were there any considerations for helping to, um, when you have a lot of uh, volunteers uh, sort of come to an area, you have to support those volunteers in some way. I mean, a lot of times the organization itself can can sort of self-support, but sometimes the city also needs to make um, certain arrangements. The city manager manager was right on top of that, and I'll let him share what he did in terms of getting a volunteer coordinator in place immediately to be able to deal with yourself having something like thousands of volunteers coming in because everybody wanted to help and we wanted to make sure that we utilize that help, but we needed to make sure that it would, it has some structure to it. Mm-hmm. Thanks, uh, Mayor. The first thing I want to go back to, uh, one of the things that the mayor did during the time we were talking about crisis management, we hired a uh, temporary crisis manager too that could also deal with the media during the time frame that we were busy on the ground uh, doing uh, search and rescue, getting to the neighborhoods, when the mayor's with the governor and walking through neighborhoods, talking to people about what the, what we would need for recovery. We had a person who would also handle the crisis management for us too at that time. The thing we did with the volunteers was we knew that people were going to be coming in and be wanting to help us. So we knew we had to have a plan because when people come in to help you, they expect things to know where they're going to go. So we appointed a... Um, a volunteer uh, a director to basically direct the traffic of all of the volunteers. We staged a high school for the place for people to be, and a volunteer uh, director was there every day and staged the buses because what we did, we bust the volunteers in with chainsaws to particular areas, geographic areas that we had mapped out on maps. They were provided with those maps and taken into certain areas by bus. And then there were other people there that were doing other volunteer type of things, like they may be in there getting water to people. Then they were put in a certain area of the school, and they were they were distributed out. And we had supervisors. There were municipal people with the different groups who went into the different affected areas. So it really went really smooth because all they had to do was show up to the high school, and we had people there that directed them to what bus to get on and what their expertise was because we didn't turn anybody down. 
if you had an expertise, uh, we, we were able to utilize you. And then we sent them into the geographic areas where they were affected. You know, not, not too long after the storm took place, you actually established a, a relief fund. We did. How did that work? Well, citizens also wanted to give. And we had no means, and government has no means for accepting money like that. So we uh, reached out to one of our area attorneys, and he took over the leadership of that. And he's created a disaster fund for the city of Trotwood, and he's been receiving donations. And they pretty much follow what FEMA does and some of the other applications in terms of how people have already reached out, because there's not a huge pot of money there. But really, it, it was designed to help people who choose to remain in the city of Trotwood to be able to get some uh, immediate help that they might possibly need. So that's at a very early stage now. We've, we've just drawn the money, uh, gotten the money in, and then we're looking at how we'll get those monies out. You know, now that you mentioned FEMA, um, we we declared a presidential disaster declaration for Montgomery County, which includes Troutwood, uh, pretty shortly after um, the absolutely, disaster. Absolutely. The governor came in day two. So we had the tornado. He was there the next day. He flew in at our mall site, got out of the plane, and we took him through the community. And he literally called. Uh, he, he, he called it right there. I did my first call. He did a call. And while he was here, President Trump called him on the phone. And I had an opportunity to speak with President Trump, and President Trump promised me everything that I needed I was going to get. So we were smiling, saying, I got my phone out, and I absolutely caught him on the phone uh, on video. And I thought, I got him. It's done. So so um, we began to get all of the help that we needed following um, once the governor made his declaration and then the president made his. So Trotwood was taken care of very, very well, state and federal. So you mentioned that um, Governor DeWine made a visit, and uh, so this was shortly after the event took place um, and the tornado struck. Can you talk a little bit about working um, – a disaster response uh, when there is a presidential disaster declaration. It's not just FEMA. It's also the state. Um, it's the county. Can you talk about uh, the working within that system, that tiered system between the city and the county and then working with state? Because I know uh, Director Sima Merrick, who is the director of Ohio Emergency Management, you know, also made a visit yes. during those um, preliminary damage assessments. Uh, talk a little bit about working with Ohio. Well, one of the things I'm very proud to say that the city of Trotwood has worked to build those relationships on the state level long before we ever thought we would need it to this extent. So uh, the governor knew who we were. He knew our community. And the fact that he came so fast to be able to meet the needs was was just the best thing that could have happened for us. Um, I'm sure he would have gone anywhere that there had been damage, but he knew this community because he's been up and down these streets and he knows these people. So um, I would say for an elected official, it is extremely important that you connect, especially mayors, that you connect to your state, um, your, your uh, governor, that you connect with people that are beyond your borders, the county, so that you have those real relationships that when you call people are aware of you and they're aware of the land that, that you're in. So um, I think that's something that we, um, again, we did before we thought we would ever need them. You know, working with FEMA in disaster recovery, there are processes involved. Was there anything that surprised you through that process or something that you think maybe could be improved? I, I don't know. City manager can probably mention what I was proud of is they chose to locate right within our community. Um, it was said that Trot was, was the hardest hit. And I, my hope was that our citizens wouldn't have to go beyond the city of Trotwood to be able to get the services they needed. And even the, our neighboring municipalities, having it located at our high school, we had people that came from Brook, 
Brookville, from Inglewood, from Harrison Township, all that were impacted were able to come to the city of Trawood. But it really was most helpful because of the amount of damage that we had in our area that they located here. Yeah, I was I was uh, surprised at the efficiency of FEMA. Um, the way they came in, it was like a one-stop shop. They had somebody who handled communication. They had somebody who handled uh, uh, meeting people at the door. Uh, they were efficiently set up, and uh, I was I was like, wow, this is a really top-notch organization. Uh, and I talked to a couple of the FEMA people, and they talked about how the organization had evolved over the last couple of years. And I said, well, it's obvious because there was somebody that handled everything. You even got you even had press people who held, handled people like me to tell me what was going on so that I could understand and report back to the mayor and, and the city council. And uh, and, and, and really, the, the great thing about them locating in that high school was we had about 300 kids dislocated throughout Montgomery County. Well, strategically, that worked well for us because guess what happened? They had to come there to sit down to talk to FEMA about for help. So when they came in to, to talk to uh, FEMA about the benefits and things like that, guess what? The kids would come with them. So we were trying to find kids. And we are still today sending buses out to pick kids up that are still uh, misplaced or dislocated to bring them to the school district, to bring them to school. And I'm happy to report that those multifamily buildings are being rebuilt. Uh, so they are being rebuilt at this time. Now we are uh, a f- several months past um, the actual event. What are some of your long-term challenges for recovery? I think we're looking at a lot of things that are happening. We're looking at our citizens who are rebuilding. We're seeing that happen. But we're also looking at some of our citizens who did not qualify for certain services and maybe were underinsured, you know, just making sure that wherever they locate, that they're going to be someplace safe. Um, those are, are tough calls for us because we want to believe that we could help everyone. But in some ways, we were not able to do that. But um, continuing to be supportive of the redevelopment that has to happen, the, the rebuilding that has to happen within the community, and then to connect our citizens to all of that, but also to connect our businesses to any support services that they may need that are out beyond our borders. Now that you've had, I hope you've had an opportunity to sort of look back on the events of that weekend, um, what advice do you have for other mayors and other city officials um, who maybe haven't gone through this before? Um, but are starting to think now, and you know, seeing the news, that maybe they ought to prepare? Well, I think uh, number one for any community is preparedness. I think you generally you're going to react the way you train and the way you prepare. We hope that nothing ever happens like that. Nothing had ever hit this community in Montgomery County, this community since 1913, the Great Floods. So being prepared was something absolutely that was important. And I'll give you a story on the night of this storm. I was in the car with the police chief, and I'm looking at him. The only thing you see, all the power is out. The lights are going. And I looked at him, and I said, you know what, chief? This is it. This is really what we get paid to do. People expect us now to serve and utilize the training that we have. And that's what we did. The second thing is timing. Timing is everything. The faster that you can get out in your assessments and getting your people out in the field and getting those reports back, as best that they can, because I know there's difficulty. We had gas lines breaking, but we were able to get a hold of, because we knew, because we had people in the field, we were able to get a hold of veteran to get those gas lines shut off. We shut off half the city. But how we were able to do that, because we were out there, uh, timing is everything. Preparedness, timing, 
communication, everybody knowing their roles. There was no issue at all. When we opened up our command center and I made that call to the mayor, she knew exactly what she had to do. She came, and she knew exactly when she issued the declaration of, that we were declaring an emergency. She had no problem issuing that. Everything went the way that it was supposed to go. And now what we're preparing to do is we're going to be having a uh, what we call an after after briefing, a debriefing, where we're going to bring everybody back together. And what we do is we'll go through uh, what we could have done better, uh, things that went well. And you heard me talk a little bit about already about two of the things that I think that people don't ever think about is when you have an emergency, you got to be able to get a hold of people. Update those contact lists. That is, I'm telling you, when you're trying to get a hold of, you got people that got vector when you're trying to get a hold of people and you can't get a hold of people, that's some serious uh, heartbreaking information. You know, you're going wild, you know. And the other thing is understanding what you're going to do with your volunteers when they do arrive in your community because they're going to come from all over the country. And they're going to call because people called me from Louisiana. People's calling from Texas. And they're saying, hey, we're coming in there. got a truckload of this. Where do you want me to go? I had no problem at all because we had already had it straight. You need to go straight up here, gave them the address, go in there. We'll have a guy waiting on you. You go in there, you park, he'll tell you where to go. So that, that's what my advice is. Preparedness, be ready, and have a mitigation plan. Exactly. I think one of the things that has happened is working together, the elected officials working together with the staff. You know, they have to stay lockstep in the possibility of any kind of a disaster in their community. And because we communicate regularly, uh, weekly on updates on things that are going on, our um, city council, the mayor's office and our city manager and the staff, we were all one band, one sound. And I think that's what is really important to make sure that, that the preparedness is in place and then following through on the plan that has been designed for your city, knowing your city. And um, I think that's probably the largest um, advice I would probably give to any elected official, um, staying really, really close with your city manager and with your police and fire departments. But one of the other things is to, for people to recognize that there are seasons. This thing changes. So when we didn't have water, it was great having people come in to bring water. And when we didn't have uh, food, people coming in bringing food. But over the days and times, people were still bringing us water when we didn't need water anymore. You know, so the, ch the need had changed. And so I would just say, you know, the thing is fluid. You, you really have to just kind of live it out and see what the needs are for that particular time. We still have people that call us and ask us if they can come and help us to clean up, you know, some things and we're this far out. Now, there are some things that we could utilize or help with, but the kind of initial cleaning that a, a lay person could possibly do, that's not necessarily the kind of need that we have right now. And uh, as we continue on, we'll continue to see the needs change. So we're learning as we go along. But I think, as city manager said, the best thing that happened was the preparedness to make sure that you know the initial steps that you need to, to go about. And then also being able to work with FEMA, being able to work with the individuals that came. Um, I think when FEMA first came here, I, I kind of felt like, well, they just don't need us now. But, <laughs> but you know, you guys were, everyone was so together in terms of how they were able to serve citizens. That really meant a lot for us because while you were doing that, we were on the ground talking to people day to day, keeping people encouraged that there's someone here that's helping them and being able to point them to that direction. Because in our community, we have a lot of very proud people and they're not used to asking for help. And we had to really do a lot of work to encourage people to go and fill out the application, no matter what, even if you get turned down, there may be something else that you can apply for. So we spent a lot of time letting people know that it's okay 
This is a disaster. This is a time that you didn't plan to, to be um, not taking care of your business. This is something that you're going to have to depend on other people helping you with because it's a lot larger than us. That's right. You know, I want to piggyback on something the mayor said that made me think about something, too, that we did. We worked with Montgomery County and set up a family resource center in yes. Trotwood, and that is very important. So for the people that will be listening out there, the managers and the mayors, that's important because your citizens are going to be challenged with finding their birth certificates. Yes. They're going to be challenged with trying to find their licenses. And what we were able to do was have the one-stop shop where they could go there and get their birth certificates, get their licenses. Uh, we were able to, if you need mental health services, we were able to get you to where you needed there because a lot of the kids suffered trauma. There were adults who suffered trauma through the tornado. So that resource center that was set up here in the, in the community was a great help because it directed people to the services that they needed, you know, even deeds because people were trying to find deeds to the houses because all their paperwork was gone. You know, so I think that's important, too, to begin to think about. I call those the soft things, but if you don't take care of those soft things, that's the kind of stuff that will really uh, cause you a lot of problems, especially in a natural disaster, because people don't know where to go. Right. And that, those some of those very documents that were made available helped them out when they went to FEMA because they did not have those. You know, they need car titles. They needed um, birth certificates. They needed you know, lease agreements. They needed everything that's a document that the county would have. So having that relationship, too, and having them move into the community along with FEMA, and they were there for weeks making sure that, that our citizens' needs were met. So it was uh, amazing when people talk about our community. They go, how did you guys, you know, kind of rebound so quick? Um, it was the preparedness. You know, and my city manager, he's, uh, he was a former police chief. So having been a police chief, there were a lot of things that he knew that would be emergency uh, things that need to be taken care of, and then our working together to make sure that all of our, our citizens got the things that they needed. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov slash podcast.